Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, Bettys. Welcome to Geeky Magic. I thought it would be fun to do a four-part series on the menstrual cycle. This is one of the questions that I get by far the most often uh, in my practice. Uh, in addition to, you know, the other big one is what supplements you take and how much you take. So I figured, you know what, let's talk about the menstrual cycle and we're going to go week by week. So we're going to do this week, we'll do week one, which is your bleed week. Next week, we'll do week two and et cetera, et cetera, until we come back full circle as, you know, being cyclical beings of wonder and magic that we are uh, until we get back to the end of week four. And through each of these um, series, each of these episodes in this series, in this mini series, we're going to be talking about exercise considerations. So what kind of weights you can be uh, what kind of resistance training you can look to, what type of cardio you can be looking to, nutrition uh, recommendations and things to consider, supplementation, and then of course, emotional and mental health. Because as you, you know, if you are a human with ovaries, you know that there is an ebb and flow to our emotional well-being, And some of that is related to the female cyclical reproductive cycle. Now, a lot of this is also going to pertain to my perimenopausal women. And if you are a woman in menopause, then I will also talk about considerations for you as well, because I do believe that even through menopause, even though you no longer have a reproductive cycle, you are still cyclical and there are a lot of benefits to cycling your diet, to cycling the way that you train and to be setting intentions and to be thinking about your mental health and your capacity throughout the month in a different capacity. So we're going to talk about all of those things. It's going to be a great, uh, great deep dive. A lot of these concepts, if you've read my book, we go over them in great detail. I'm going to be adding some color to that, to those, uh, to what I wrote in the book in this podcast episode as well. So the two are really great companions with each other. The book will go into a lot of sciencey details. You'll have all the references there. And this is going to be part of the how to. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Okay, so let's start 
at the start, let's start at week one of your menstrual cycle. And generally for this series, I'll also just say that we're generally dividing this into seven day increments. Okay. So if you have a shorter cycle, like my ladies in early perimenopause, you may find that you used to be like a 29 day girl. And now you're like, Hmm, I've lost a day or two. Now I'm like a 26 day girl. So you're just going to divide 26 uh, or 27 by seven and you'll get, you know, a five and a half day you know, your weeks will be a little lighter. They'll be, you know, maybe five and a half or six days or what have you. All right. So let's start with week one. This is our bleed week. So this is the week that we are shedding the endometrial lining of the uterus. There has been no uh, fertilized egg. The progesterone has suddenly dropped off and now the lining of the uterus has become ischemic. There's been not enough oxygen uh, to the tissue. It has died and now we are shedding it. That is what your period is. It's the endo is the shedding of the endometrial lining. So when we think about the reproductive hormones this week, all of them are very low, particularly at the beginning of the week. So day one through about day four, um, what we see is that estrogen is low, testosterone is low, progesterone is not around. Um, the only hormone that we do see in any significant amount is follicular stimulating hormone. And this is because this hormone is working to stimulate the follicle, hence the name follicle or follicular stimulating stimulating hormone. This hormone is involved in developing the one lucky follicle. There'll be several that develop at one time, but there'll be one that develops at one. And of course that follicle is going to house the egg within it. Now the first day of your cycle, it's normal to feel a little crampy. Okay. So, uh, may feel a little achy, a little crampy. Uh, some women will report achiness into the low back, sometimes as low as the knees and up, you know, very kind of tender in and around the diaphragm area. Everything just feels like kind of sore. Like you've had a, you know, some sort of long workout, like you just ran a marathon or something. And this is completely normal. And for any of you who've ever gone through labor um, and or breastfeeding, actually it happens in breastfeeding as well, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? The cramping is the contraction of the uterus to shed the endometrial lining from it. So uh, I, I'm often reminded every month, you know, when I get my period, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it, ha you know, this is what happened. You know, when I first started breastfeeding my kids, I sort of felt like those labor pains, uh, again. Um, and same with going into labor, you just kind of feel this like dull ache cramping. Uh, it's not, it's, it shouldn't stop you from doing any of your activities of daily living. It certainly shouldn't, uh, require medication, but you may just feel a little, you know, a little crampy. And in terms of movement, in terms of how you might deal with some of that general discomfort, um, I personally like to take a day off of weights and cardio on the first day of um, my period. I chalk it up to a rest and recovery day, and it's obviously very well justified to do so. And what I really like to do is I like to go for a long walk. So and I'll either one really long walk or several long walks um, during the day. So like an early morning walk and then maybe a walk around sunset. And my step count on the day of my period is somewhere in the 15,000 to 18,000 step range. And that's a, it's a little north of my daily average. My daily average uh, through the month is somewhere between 
I call it 11K, like 11,000 to 15,000 steps a day. Um, many of you know that I have a treadmill desk, so I will often take all of my meetings and all of my calls with the exception of my podcast recordings, uh, on my treadmill. So I'm actually standing on it right now, but the motor is not on. Cause if I turn on the motor, then you're just going to hear this sort of annoying whirring in the background. And I, I know that one of you will say, I can't listen to you. I hear this annoying whirring in the background of this motor going. So the, I'm standing on her right now, but right now it is off. But during the day when I'm working, when I'm typing in front of my computer, I'm usually walking at a very slow pace. But on the day of my period, I find that that low steady state, like a long walk, that gentle, constant rocking of the SI joint is really, really soothing and feels really great. And so for those of you that have never visual, uh, you know, envisioned what's happening when you're walking, your sacroiliac joint is basically a joint between the sacral bone, which is like a triangle, and the, sac- the sacrum is nestled in between the two ilia of the hips. So the ili- you know, you may have heard of the iliac crest, the bones on either side of the sacrum are called the ilia. And... The sacral base is actually the top of the sacrum. It's the top flat part. And the apex of the sacrum is the tailbone or, you know, the proper nomenclature would be the coccyx. Now, I understand this naming might be a bit confusing because the base is at the top and the apex is at the bottom, but the sacrum itself is an upside down triangle. So they're named, we have the sacral base named for the shape, not so much the position relative to the apex. So we have the sacral base, top of the sacrum, upside down triangle, the long flat part, uh, makes a figure eight motion while you're walking. So every time you're walking, your sacrum is basically sort of moving forward and backward, forward and backward. And it makes this like figure eight motion. And this is, I find this to be, and I've had many women who I recommended this to, to be incredibly therapeutic, especially the day of like day one when menstruation um, starts. So of course, if you feel up to it, you can add in weights if you'd like, you can add in, you know, a bit more rigorous uh, cardiovascular workouts, but a bare minimum uh, on day one, you know, just to aid in the, um, you know, the lubrication of the joints in the low back to gently rock the uterus as well. Cause as your sacrum and your hips are rocking as you're walking, of course, so goes the womb. So your womb will also be rocking and it's just a nice nourishing motion I find on the day of, um, my period. Now I also, in terms of sleep, I like to sleep a little longer. Um, the day I find the day before, uh, I am easily sleeping for 10 hours, sometimes 11. Um, and then on day one, um, I am also sleeping for longer again in that like 10 hour to 11 hour range. And that's not typical for me. I typically am a very steady eight and a half to nine hour gal through the month. Uh, but those two days I have noticed that if I can sleep a little bit longer, um, it just does a world of good uh, for me. So if you are able to, you might consider sleeping in, or if sleeping in is not a possibility for you, you start work, let's say at a certain time, then you might reverse it and you might go to bed earlier. You know, if you're tracking your cycle, which I hope you are at this point, if you've been following me for more than a minute, you know that that's the first thing I want you to do is to track your cycle on an app like Clue. No affiliation, just that's the one I use. There's many of them out there. But 
really give yourself uh, a little bit of extra time in bed. And we all know that the time in bed is not the actual time that you sleep, right? So it takes you a little bit of time as you retire to your bed for the evening. It takes a little bit of time to transition from, you know, consciousness into, um, into sleep. So go to bed a little earlier. And I always love it. Like it's always my favorite when you get your period on the weekend, because then you can just like those mornings. I know I will sleep in until eight or eight 30 in the morning, which for me is just a luxury. Like that's just the, you know, I'm usually up at six or six 30. So to be able to get in those extra couple hours of sleep, either at the beginning of your sleep cycle or the end, just, just absolutely luxurious and highly, highly recommend it. So those are the you know early part of your bleed week, early part of the of, of week one of your cycle. And as you get into the week, you should find that that natural cramping, that normal cramping of the uterus um, should subside. You will see follicular stimulating hormone continue, um, continue to rise. You will also see estrogen towards the end of this week um, in terms of hormonal composition of the body uh, and the reproductive system. Estrogen is now rising as well. And I've talked about this on podcast before, but as a brief, you know, as a brief recap, estrogen is an anabolic, it's a trophic hormone. It plumps up your cheeks, it whitens your eyes, it fills out your lips. Of course, it's involved in our secondary sex characteristics like our breasts and our hips. Um, but it's also, as I mentioned, a, a growth hormone. There are estrogen receptors pretty much everywhere in the body, uh, including the lungs and the heart and the brain and like everywhere in the gut, every, everywhere. And one of the things that estrogen does is it'll help your sleep. So you may find that towards the end of the week, as we see estrogen starting to make its apical and largest rise um, in the cycle, uh, we'll see that in week two next week, um, in the context of movement and estrogen, we want to return to resistance training. Now, I wrote about this in the Betty Body, my book, which you can find anywhere on Amazon. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, a clickable link in your podcast app or in the show notes. But I typically will apply a cyclical approach for women to weight training. And that begins in, in week one. And this whole week, um, I actually, you know, I, I would classify the entire week as a moderate weight training approach, but that will also within that sort of umbrella term of moderate weights, um, I define moderate as anywhere between eight repetitions to 12 repetitions. So as you go through the week, you know, depending on how many times you're training, you can start the week, you know, if you are starting on maybe day two or day three or day four, um, you can start with a lighter uh, weight load, but you might aim for 12 repetitions of the exercises that you have in your weight program. So this means that you can execute perfect form, right? But the weight needs to be heavy enough such that any reps beyond 12 would be nearly impossible to do with good form. So of course that's going to be a little different for everyone, but you, and you need to figure out what that is for you, whether it's squats or bench presses or push-ups or, uh, you know, jumping squats or bicep curls or, all, you know, all the things, right? Like lunges, uh, those are all going to be uh, around the, I, I like around the 12 rep uh, range, you know, days one to three, you know, maybe four. And then as you get towards the end of the week, so most women will bleed anywhere between, you know, three to, you know, seven days really, but 
let's call it four to six, um, you may be doing the same exercises, but now towards the end of week one, still in that moderate rep range, but I like to make the weights heavier such that you are uh, punching out eight reps per exercise now, and you're really not able to do much more than that without perfect form. And, and I'll, let me just say a little break in form is okay. Okay. So I, whenever I, I, um, I have a, a mirror where I, I work out and on a really heavy, you know, squat, let's say, or, um, you know, if I have a barbell and I'm, and I'm squatting or I'm lunging, I may see my knee track in like a squeak, but it's nothing, it's nothing egregious. It's nothing, um, so outrageous that I would say, okay, this is not the form for me. So like a little break in form is okay. Um, so eight reps per exercise. So if you think about it, if you're able to do 12 reps in the earlier part of the week, you still, you can move into that eight rep range towards the end of the week. And that's going to also coincide with a rising in estrogen. You're also seeing testosterone starting to climb as well towards the end of week one, which is also going to contribute to your energy. As I mentioned, sleep is going to be, uh, you're going to find towards the end of your period, you're going to be sleeping much better. Um, and that's because estrogen really does help with sleep. And just tying up the movement category in week one, um, I have a lot of cardio bunnies that listen. <laughs> I have a lot of you Peloton addicts <laughs> that love to do three, four, five, six, uh, classes a week and, you know, not thrown, not thrown shade to Peloton. Um, but I, and I'll just say all forms of cardio are really great in, in week one. I am personally a lover of steady state cardio, uh, especially if one of your goals, like if you're in your forties and one of your goals is to have more energy, um, steady state cardio is really, really awesome because it is involved in a multitude of processes. Number one being mitochondrial biogenesis and, um, you know, one to two sessions minimum of call it 30 to 45 minutes of steady state zone two training is really great here to support that energy goal. Um, I do know that when I tell women, especially around the, you know, the context of weight loss, uh, to cut back on cardio, like sometimes, sometimes, you know, your knickers can get in a twist. And, um, I will say this with love when it comes to weight loss, the most important thing, you know, if there was a pyramid cardio is right at the top, um, maybe second only to supplementation. So if you sort of think about a pyramid of what's important for weight loss, uh, it's not cardio. So, um, the base is really your nutrition, like what you're eating, your macronutrients, your total calories. Uh, I would also include hormones in there as well. So nutrition and hormones are sort of the base of the pyramid. The second level up from your nutrition is going to be your weight training. So your exercise, uh, your resistance training specifically. So not just all exercise, but your resistance training. Like, are you lifting weights? That's number two. The third piece, uh, highly disregarded, often forgotten about is recovery. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money 
no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Everything grows when you rest. When you are in the gym, when you are doing the resistance training, you are breaking up the muscle tissue, but you have to allow for a sufficient amount of recovery in order to get the hypertrophy of the muscle that you're after. So in terms of order of importance, you know, we have the base at nutrition and hormones. Second level would be resistance training. Third level will be rest and recovery. And then, and only then my Bettys do, does cardio make her appearance. Uh, and that's why I wanted to cardio sessions a week particularly in this period week, this week one of your bleed week is, um, is sufficient. Uh, certainly you can throw in a hit train, you know, you can throw in hit, um, as well. Um, hit hits great this week. There's no, um, no qualms there. If you want to do a hit you know, hit training. That's awesome. I personally need to drag my ass out to do a hit session, but the less I think about them, the easier they seem to be. So, um, I'm, I'm really built for long distance and I, um, you, and you know, my history, I used to run long distance and I did do relay, um, as well, which is, which is more, uh, explosive type of movement, but, um, I, I'm, I very much prefer a steady state. I could run forever at one pace rather than like up and down the tempo and the, and the, um, output. But anyway, I'll leave that up to you, but like pull back a little bit on the cardio because that's really, um, especially for, if you're a weight loss person, you know, you really, your nutrition. So the, um, in the Betty body, I talk about different phases of a therapeutic intervention of ketosis for women. And we talk about blending that with intermittent fasting and then phase two of cyclical keto. Um, that's really going to be your ticket. Like the biggest, it, that will be the biggest influence on the way that you look, and then we have resistance training and then recovery and then cardio. So cut the cardio, Bettys. Uh, you don't need it as much as you think you do. Okay. So let's move on to nutrition. Um, so we're in our bleed week. We're in week one. And I like to focus on blood building foods here. So remember you're losing a lot of blood this week. You're losing, and with it, you know, all of the, all of the nutrients that your that your body spent time, you know, throw those like fatty acids and amino acids and glucose. And then we have the micro minerals. We have the selenium, the zinc, the magnesium, we have glutathione. We have all of the things that your body has been basically partitioning away from your body and into the endometrial lining. So I, I am a really big fan of soups, uh, generally this week, all sorts of soups like, um, you know, bone broth for sure. But I actually like to put in a lot of, uh, red meats. I like to put in lamb, uh, chicken thighs, you know, foods that are generally darker, um, and rich with iron. So think of like your dark meats, like your chicken thighs over your chicken, uh, breasts, for example, uh, red meats, of course, a very, very good source of iron. Uh, lamb is also, you know, the dark meat of the lamb uh, also, again, very good source of iron. Uh, some people in some cultures like goat, that's also a really great, uh, really great. Like a lot of my, uh, middle Eastern and uh, Mediterranean, um, backgrounds, you may have grown up with goat. That's another really great high iron food as well. Um, so blood building foods is really what I'm getting at here. So you can have this in the form of soups, or you can just have like more red meats and the chicken thighs and the, you know, the, the iron rich foods, um, as well. 
This is a great week, this first week of your cycle to carbohydrate restrict and to fast. And we'll talk about fasting in just a moment. Um, but generally very well equipped in the, in the follicular cycle as a whole, but particular, which is the first two weeks of your cycle, but in particular week one, very well equipped to restrict calories and to macronutrient restrict like a carbohydrate and to some degree protein as well. So generally I have found a ketogenic diet very easy to follow this week without much craving, without much digestive upset, without much, you know, disturbance in your sleep. Um, and of course the caveat here is if you are a woman, you want to be following a female centric ketogenic diet, like the one I outline in the Betty body. And I have plans and I have recipes and the whole shebang in there. But as a, as a rule of thumb, um, you want to be having dark green leafy vegetables, uh, generally following a 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbohydrate protocol. And then you want to be drinking a lot of water. And when I say a lot of water, for those of you who are trying to overcome stress, like if you identify as someone who maybe has a lot on her plate right now, Dehydration is also a stress signal to the brain, and this will significantly drive up uh, cortisol levels. So as a minimum in terms of, and remember, you're losing liquid this week, you're losing uh, blood. So you want to be aiming for a minimum, minimum of two liters uh, a day. That's about 70 ounces for my American cousins and, and more really, um, if you're active, a general rule of thumb for hydration, uh, for working it in ounces, it's half of your body weight in ounces. So if you are a 140 pound woman, you are going to aim for a minimum of 70 ounces of water a day. You know, if you're 200 pound woman, you're going to be aiming for a hundred ounces of water a day. And of course you, this can, you can cycle this up or down depending on your activity level, right? So I typically train resistance train four to five times a week, um, with obviously with weights and then one to two sessions a week of steady state cardio. And maybe one of those is a hit training, but they're usually steady state. Cause that's what I love. So I, and I also, on top of that, I'm usually in the range of like 11,000 to 15,000 steps a day. As I mentioned, I'm have a treadmill. I'm constantly walking at my desk, you know, I'm like just general, like cleaning my kitchen. Like I don't, you know, as soon as I clean my kitchen, like one of my kids comes in, eat, eats a snack and leaves a plate and half a banana on the counter. And you know, <laughs> you know how it is moms, right? So I'm always cleaning my kitchen. I'm usually cooking. So I usually aim to get in around three liters, um, but it's usually more like four liters daily um, for my activity level and the amount of water that I, that I sweat out just through natural, you know, perspiration when I'm working out, but like speaking and, you know, moving around, which brings us to fasting. So we've talked about movement. We've talked about nutrition for the reasons that are identical to nutrition uh, which is that your body is very resilient in this week. This is a wonderful week, this bleed week for a long fast. So you can try your hand at a, you know, if you've never tried a 24 hour fast, like you might have dinner on a Monday and then you don't eat again until Tuesday dinner. You may experiment with a 36 hour fast, a 48 hour fast, easy peasy if you've done it before, uh, even a 72 hour fast really without much issue. 
And of course I will say, um, you know, whenever you are going to do a long fast, like a 72 hour or longer, um, strongly recommend that this is done with supervision, uh, with your primary healthcare provider. So that might be your naturopathic doctor. That might be your chiropractic doctor. That might be your medical doctor, any primary healthcare physician who is familiar with your diet, who is familiar with your, uh, food and your supplementation, your exercise activity. Yeah. There are other primaries, but these tend to be like your ND, your DC, or your MD are typically, um, your PCPs who would be best able to facilitate a DO. I'd put a, you know, osteopath in there as well and be able to facilitate that. So the types of fasting, again, I go through this a lot in the Betty body, but there are lots of different ways that you can fast. Um, in this week, in this bleed week, I tend to like more of a pure fast. So a more of a, I'm more of a Puritan, if you will. Um, so more of like a water-based fast or, you know, maybe a cup of black coffee in the morning and then you, you have herbal teas through the day, but not really a caloric fast. So really more non-caloric liquid fasting. And then you can play around with your, the length of the fast, you know, with the coordination of your, of your PCP, your primary. Let's talk emotional health. Um, bleed week is an interesting week, um, in terms of what you can, how you can augment and how you can use your hormones as your superpower. And I speak about this in my book, but this is a problem solving week. You know, things may have been irking you last week. You know, I talk about this negativity bias and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to week four of, of this series, but this is the week to mull it over, right? This is the week to figure out a way forward. Maybe you need to set some boundaries with someone. Maybe you need to work on setting a new goal that you want to achieve for this cycle. Maybe it's regarding your health or maybe it's regarding your parenting or your relationship uh, or your career. You know, maybe you need to have a difficult conversation with someone. This is the week for figuring out the plan for what needs to happen. So mull over what it is that you want in this cycle, this next 28 to 29 day cycle. And you can have a deliberate time set aside this week, like a couple, you know, let's call it 10 minutes every evening. I actually tend to, I tend to ask my subconscious and say, how am I going to solve this problem? Like, how am I going to solve this, you know, issue that I have, you know, at work? Or how am I going to solve this issue that I have with my child? And I'll ask my subconscious, um, to mull it over for me. And then I will go for, you know, I'll, I'll go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Um, I'll go for a weight session and I often find, and this is, this is just me, but I'll share my experience with you is that I find that my solutions come to me when I'm actively not trying to find a solution to it. So you can actually spend, you know, you can either do one of two things, spend time thinking, actively thinking about the solution or ask your subconscious to mull it over in the background, right? Where it's not in your conscious, it's not taking up some of that decision fatigue and it's not taking up some of that brain juice that you have. But if you dis- if you distract yourself and do something else, by, and I, I find that what works best is by getting into my body. So it's usually when I go for a walk, when I'm exercising or when I'm meditating, because of one of the, one of the fallacies I think about meditating is we think that it's strengthening our mind and yes, it is, but it allows you to actually get into your body. I find that I will sway. I find that my body sometimes shakes. Sometimes I'm crying. Like a lot of things happen when I'm meditating, but I'm in my body. So those are 
you know, the ways that I take care of my problem solving or I bring about my power of problem solving this week is by getting into my body. So think about this week as a problem solving week. And I said this in the book, I'll say it now, you know, men think about things in order to problem solve. We bleed on things in order to problem solve. So that's your emotional and mental health. In terms of supplementation, you know, uh, when I was talking about the pyramid before we said, you know, nutrition and hormones at the base, resistance training is, you know, the second, uh, step up. Then we have rest and recovery and then, and only then is cardio. And then what I didn't say was that the next level up is supplementation, like supplementation at the little itty bitty top <laughs> of this pyramid. And while it's important, some of the other things that we've been talking about are, far more, uh, far more important. So, but let's, let's still have a conversation about it. So I don't personally take a ton of supplements, but I do love to make sure that I have a few foundational ones. So I like to take omega threes, um, every day through my cycle, uh, in week one, it's no different than it is any other day of my cycle. It's around two grams of omega threes a day. And by the way, um, for those of you that are interested in supplementation, if you, are, if you are working out and you are getting your resistance training, I will make sure that in the show notes or in the podcast app that you're listening to, uh, these will be clickable links. So you can see the omega threes that I take the magnesium that I take, uh, I'm to all, you know, on all the other ones that I'm going to mention now. So, um, magnesium, <laughs> as I just mentioned, uh, something that is so important all through my cycle. And I tend to, I, there tends to be a cyclical application of magnesium for me. So in week one, it's 400 milligrams of magnesium daily. Now there are many, many types of magnesium. Um, there are two that I take regularly. So one is magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate, um, highly bioavailable. Um, so, you know, very easy to absorb. The other one that I like to take is L3 and 8. So this is another type of magnesium supplement that uh, crosses the blood brain barrier. It's been shown to get into the brain so it can help with memory, it can help with focus. Um, and there is a supplement that I, um, there's a supplement that I really like that has both of them. So I'll put the link um, for that in the show notes. Vitamin D is number three. Now this is really dependent on a, what your vitamin D status is, where you live, how much natural sun exposure you get and how much, and of that, like not just sitting in a sunny room, but actually being outside and exposed to natural sunlight. I'd say a very conservative minimum is 2000 international units per day. And that's irrespective of the seasons, right? So if you are live in a warm place or you have a, you know, you're living in a place that has four, you know, four seasons as I do, uh, throughout the summer, spring, fall, winter, minimum of 2000 IUs per day. And then as you move into, um, you know, the fall and the winter that, that number will go North as well. Uh, and full disclosure, um, I have a couple others I want to mention. There are a few that I'm I'm not mentioning um, because I am ex I'm doing a, a bit of an experiment right now uh, on a few other supplements that I will I promise I will do a geeky magic on in the future as I'm just 
currently collecting data. Uh, and there's one of them in particular that I'm really, really excited about. So that's going to be coming. Uh, so I'll dangle a little carrot for you, Betty, <laughs> on, a, on a supplement that I'm really, really excited about. But the, the, the last two that sort of round things out for this week in particular is uh, electrolytes. So if you think about the nutrition that you are uh, engaging in this week, if you're following my recommendations, you might be doing a female focused ketogenic diet, like the one I outline in the Betty body. And that requires electrolyte supplementation because as you carbohydrate restrict, you will also excrete a lot of water with that. So carbs are usually stored um, with three to four molecules of water. So as your glycogen uh, is getting used up and you know, you're using up the carb, you will also get rid of a lot of water. So, uh, and with the water, of course, goes some of our minerals like sodium and potassium and magnesium. So I I personally, there's, uh, I personally have fallen in love with a company called Element. That's L M N T. I have one of these daily this week. Uh, I have, and we'll, as we'll talk about other uh, weeks, there's other weeks where I make sure that I have it uh, daily as well, but it's usually when I'm in keto, I make sure that I have one element sachet, um, a day. And this will give you a thousand milligrams of sodium helps to balance out any, it helps to, you know, balance out any water loss, the electrolyte loss that you have. Um, I am currently obsessing over the watermelon salt and the grapefruit salt. They are limited for the summertime and we're, you know, recording this in the summer, but, um, absolutely love them. I have a discount code for you as well. I'll put that link in the show notes for you. Um, but I believe it's uh, drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And uh, just a fabulous product. Uh, we've had Rob Wolf on the podcast before, and he is the f- founder of this company. Um, just a really overall awesome dude. Uh, really respect his work, really respect his intelligence. And this is this product is, of course, very much in line with the excellence that he exudes. So um, highly recommend the water and the, and the grapefruit as well, if you're going to get some. And then the last thing that I have every day, this is irrespective of where I am in my cycle, but I make sure that I have this daily is athletic greens. So this is, you may recognize athletic greens as being one of the sponsors of the podcast. And indeed it is. I absolutely love this product. This is my insurance policy to make sure I am getting all of my greens every day. And when we talk about, you know, getting your greens as much as you can from your diet, of course, that's the goal. Um, but a lot of people can't get in a pound of, of green leafy vegetables a day. And that's actually the requirement that we're talking about. So athletic greens is like, make sure that you get all the sulforaphanes, all the polyphenols, all of the antioxidants, all of the things, um, that are required as well. And I know that we have a discount code, uh, for athletic greens. I've mentioned it before in the intros of the podcast, and it will just have a clickable link for you in the show notes so that you can just click through and see, um, what it is. But but it's a basic, I, I believe it is a, you know, a year's free supply of vitamin D as well as five travel, uh, uh, packets as well with any order of, of athletic greens. It's a phenomenal product. I have to hide it from my, I have to hide it from my husband because Giovanni, um, my husband likes to, uh, likes to have them too. And of course I will be nice and I will share with him, but I just always want to make sure I like to hoard a little bit for myself to make sure I have enough for, um, for my daily use. 
Okay. So those are the supplements. Um, again, I don't like to take a lot of supplements, uh, so you can kind of see very light on them, right? Omega-3, magnesium, vitamin D, some electrolytes and some greens, right? So, you know, it's not that big of an ask to make sure that, uh, these things are being covered. Of course, we want to be able to get as much as we can naturally from our diet and from our, our lifestyle. But when you think about the depleting soils, the, um, you know, the monocropping, uh, this is like, go back and listen to my podcast with Rob Wolf for a more fulsome, uh, conversation about this, but like the monocropping, the soy, the corn, the, not the, not rotating the soil, like our soil is dying. And most of the plants that we eat, get their nutrients from the soil. So we are, even if you were having, you know, you're buying local and you're trying to buy organic that even, unfortunately, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be getting the, um, you know, a, a farm that maybe practices regenerative agriculture or that rotates their crops, lets their soil rest for one or two seasons and then comes back to it. So the supplements are more like an insurance policy to make sure that you're getting some of those micro minerals, um, that we discussed. So those are some of the principles around your first week, your bleed week. Next week, we'll talk about week two, which is your pre-ovulatory week. Um, all of the things that we've talked about today apply to perimenopause. So these are, even if your cycle is erratic, even if you are having really heavy bleeding, even if you think you're running estrogen dominant, these are all practices that you can help to improve your, if you're experiencing any hot flashes, or if you're experiencing any breast tenderness. If you are somebody who is really seeing a very heavy bleed this week, you might consider more aggressive fasting, right? To allow for the elimination of um, estrogen from the body by letting the digestive system rest. Of course, taking that magnesium is going to help augment an enzyme called COMT, which is also involved in estrogen um, metabolism. And then of course, when we are restricting the carbohydrates, when we are having lots of green leaf, if you're, if you're doing keto, if you are eating, you know, the, 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 one of the secret sort of goals of the Estima diet is to help heal the gut. And that is one of the ways in which we eliminate estrogen. And when you're having a lot of the green leafy vegetables, hopefully you're getting in a lot of a compound called sulforaphane, which is going to be amplifying conjugation, which is phase two of liver detoxification and estrogen metabolism. So it's going to help to regulate that as well. So everything that we've talked about today really does is, is applicable for a woman who's in her, you know, her teens, twenties, thirties, forties, early fifties, if she's in still in perimenopause. And I would say the same is true for my menopausal women. Of course, we know that menopausal women tend to be more insulin insensitive. That's just a natural consequence of, of aging as we become more insulin insensitive. So really pulling down, pulling, pulling and carbohydrate restricting, um, is a great way for you to improve your insulin sensitivity. Okay. So this has been week one. We are going to do a deep dive into week two next week. So that pre-ovulatory, right before ovulation, some of the different hormonal environments, we're going to talk about fasting and feasting and movement and supplements then. So I hope you enjoy this little mini series and we'll catch you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's geeky magic carpet ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. 
all the juicy bits are in there for you. 